another powerful metaphor that resonates for me is that metaphor of the seedling breaking through ground that that it is in the soil and the darkness that we then are prepared to break through and like blossom but when you're in the darkness you don't know that you really think your life is ending and it is life as you knew it is ending and then on the other side is potentially transformation hi Welcome to Undefined. I am your host, as you know, Marissa Tashman, and I am really looking forward to sharing my conversation with Jenna Chieko. She is an executive and leadership and life coach, but she was a lawyer who worked in the Obama administration, and she also was the general counsel for a clean energy startup. And she left the law to pursue um, coaching and now has a very successful coaching practice where she works with leaders, CEOs all over the country. And I was actually put in touch with her by one of my colleagues and a partner at Covington um, who works with her. And I just really identified with Jenna's story and her approach to coaching and I was just very excited to have this conversation with her. I had talked to her one other time a few months ago and we just had a really enlightening conversation and she's just extremely smart and very insightful and wise and I am very excited to share our conversation. We talk about her switching from the law and business world and government world really to her coaching practice. She also went on a sabbatical where she traveled and sort of rediscovered herself and had, it was a really transformational time for her. So we talk about sort of this Phoenix rising where she then came into her full self and is now really just living her full life, like fully as herself, which is amazing. So I'm excited to share it and I'll talk to you all at the end. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you coming on. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been loving listening to your podcast and really appreciate what you're bringing. Yeah, that makes me so happy that you've listened. (laughs) It's not very like widely spread. So I appreciate anyone who listens. I I like to think that my listeners are like quality listeners rather than having like a ton of different people. Yes. I, well, I'll speak for me at least and say I appreciate the quality <laughs> listeners' comments, and I'm sure that's the case. <laughs> I'd love to just know like, how you're doing, how you're feeling this week. I'm feeling okay. I had a really energizing experience this past weekend. I did my first 5K oh, wow. since 2019. I developed a love for running later in life. In um, I started running in a way that I just couldn't get enough of it in 2018. And I did three races in 2019, in the summer and fall of 2019, and then COVID hit. And so it's been a couple of years. And I've had a couple of these firsts since the pandemic and just feeling like myself again. And it was so incredible being around people and just feeling that excitement. And so that was really special. And going into the holidays uh, next I mean, it's hard to believe you're just discussing the time flying factor, (laughs) but I'm looking forward to seeing family for Thanksgiving and yeah. Nice. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to the holidays. I think that it'll, it'll be a relaxing one, which Mm -hmm. I'm excited about. I mean, you know, assuming nothing like pops up at work that is Uh unexpected, but I don't see that happening, which is good. Mm -hmm. What race did you do? I did the Malibu 5k. Oh, cool. Is it a long PCH? Yeah, part of it is. It starts on like um, a roadway along the PCH and then it goes onto the PCH. That's great. I've done one 5K probably in 2019, actually. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, I'm doing, I'm signed up for a turkey trot too. So I'm hoping to continue. (laughs) Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. After doing, I did two 10Ks and a half marathon in 2019. Those were the races that got me excited about doing these kind of organized events. And I decided 5Ks were my speed, literally and figuratively, just shorter distance. I know. the. I feel like a 10K I could do. I've yeah. tried training for a half marathon and like I got hurt probably because I just like went too quickly. Yeah, I totally. I'm like not running that much to running a lot. Yep. Um, right. But I, I tried to run a couple times a week. I actually ran this morning. Nice. 
nice. Yeah. And with the dog, it's kind of fun. It's like I have totally. Yeah. Before I got into running, I, I would run, like force myself to run and it was painful and I didn't enjoy it. And when I got into running, it was on my travel sabbatical where I would take off at sunrise and it was just me in the sights and it was so magical. And I realized that when you, for me, when I run long enough, I get into this, that runner's high state, it's very meditative and it's just such a special way for me to have kind of a new relationship with my thoughts and my awareness and, and soaking things in on that run. That's amazing. I love that that started on your travel sabbatical, which mm-hmm. I noticed you have on your LinkedIn page. And I love that. Yes. Yeah. I, you're a big advocate for it. I'd love to just hear about that experience and how transformational it was. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I was working at a startup I had moved to LA the prior year to take this job as general counsel and chief of staff to the CEO at a clean tech startup. And I was in the role for about a year. I had suffered through some burnout and there were some other things going on that I just felt this growing voice in me get louder and louder that I wanted to leave and take a break from all things work-related. I had been working pretty much since I was 15. My work identity was such a big piece of my identity. And I had kind of sacrificed a lot of other things in my life for the sake of work. So I honored that yearning. I left that job with nothing lined up. I've never had a so-called gap on my resume. And it was a hard, it was, it was scary in the moment. And now I look back and think, wow, I was, that was an example of where fear can kind of get the worst of you because I came to see none of my fears came to pass. I even felt at first, like, I can't call this a sabbatical because I quit my job and I'm not getting paid. And I had kind of only been familiar with the academic version of sabbaticals, but I, I gave myself permission to do it. Another piece of that decision-making in retrospect that was interesting was doing something solely for me. I had been such a giver in my life and was you know, never hesitated to give myself to others. Sometimes I joked I was like a 7-Eleven for support (laughs) to other people, but it was not that common for me to give that to myself. And so to spend this, my savings on myself to take this trip to just devote every waking hour to me, it, it felt uncomfortable at first, but it was such a gateway into a new relationship with myself and the kind of the piece of my travel sabbatical that makes me smile the most is that I booked a one-way ticket to Paris and I ended up traveling through almost 10 countries in 10 weeks backpacking. And at times I was traveling with my identical twin sister. And then at times I was traveling solo because I, I really love solo travel. And out of that travel sabbatical, I came away with so many powerful insights and kind of a new relationship with myself. I'm sure. I mean, it's rare that we get to just be alone, separated from our normal environment. Like Mm -hmm. I sort of had that experience, not this past summer, but the summer before when I traveled for about three weeks by myself. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, hugely transformational because you just get to sit with yourself for most of the time and you learn how to entertain yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I came to understand why so many great philosophers speak so highly of solitude. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, earlier in my life, I think I, I I kind of have the personality where I love go, go, go doing a lot of things. I mean, I would pack my schedule, you know, work and then events and friends and weekends were just packed. And I didn't have a lot of stillness. I remember mm-hmm. one of my friends looked at me quizzically once and she was like, do you ever just like sit still? <laughs> and so I think part of it was my identity of being like dynamic and enjoying packing in as much as I can. But I think also part of it was that when we sit in stillness with ourselves, we face sometimes those things that we've been avoiding the maybe, you know, deeper emotions or, or things that we've been distracting ourselves from that we don't even realize yeah, totally. we've been distracting ourselves from. And, and so out of that time in solitude and I, and all the things that kind of surface through that sabbatical, I, I had such a powerful homecoming to myself. I just kind of developed this sense of self-compassion and really enjoyed being by myself. And I shed, you might relate to this. I think as women, we're often brainwashed to think that being alone, there's a stigma and um, there's something wrong with this. If we go to eat by ourselves or whatever it might be. And I, it just was kind of like that curtain lifted or I like 
burned the curtain down <laughs> and I came to see that it's such an incredible thing to go out by yourself and experience things by yourself and you meet people or not, but it's just this different way of experiencing our surroundings. Yeah, definitely. I had an experience. At, so right after I was in Colorado with my boyfriend at the end of September, I went just by myself to Palm Springs for a couple of days mm-hmm. and I went out to eat for dinner and I like totally treated myself. I got like a cocktail and an appetizer. <laughs> I got like olives. Like it was like a whole thing, but Amazing. I was by myself and I was the only definitely, I think I was the only person eating alone and mm-hmm. for sure the only woman eating alone. And mm-hmm. all of the waiters and servers, they they all were coming up to me because I was also reading. And they were like, what are you reading? It was almost like this – they were just confused, like, why this, like, single – or not single, <laughs> but, like, girl alone on a Saturday night yeah. <laughs> was, like, eating at the restaurant. Because it's not something that you see often. But it was yeah. so nice. Yeah, I had, I I think it, you know, of course it depends on context. Palm Springs is probably a bit different than LA, but I had a fun experience one night in LA. I was um, at a restaurant bar and having a glass of wine and eating dinner and reading a book. And the woman bartender said, look at you living your best life. And I was like, yeah, we like cheers to that. It was just a cool cool moment. Yeah. (laughs) What were some of the things that came up that maybe were, that you didn't expect to come up? Yeah. So one of the, okay. So my love of running was a piece of a realization that I came to understand and really honor that we have four pillars, mind, body, heart, soul, Mm -hmm. and to be our best selves and have our, uh, you know, better energy and well-being and sense of peace within us. And like standing in our sense of power is when we honor those four pillars And so that body piece for me was stepping into my athleticism, which is something I kind of neglected a lot of my life and honoring sleep and nutrition and and coming to understand, you know, again, I I think many of us are are socialized to loathe our bodies. We have like wars with our bodies and in our society views our bodies as only valuable because of what we look like. It's so superficial, but our bodies house our mind, heart and soul and are so sacred. And so I kind of stepped into this new relationship with my body on the mind level, I had kind of sensed this. I had always thought of myself as having this insatiable curiosity, love of learning. And and I came to understand that certain things really light up my intellectual curiosity and just immersing myself in those things. And, and um, I enrolled in a coaching program during my sabbatical. And we learned about Byron Katie and the work and the idea that we can have certain thoughts that cause suffering in us. And those thoughts are almost like junk food for our brains. We might mm-hmm. crave them and end up on these like repeat patterns with these thoughts. But when we get this mindfulness about the thoughts, we can come to see that they're not serving us. And so my mind piece was um, kind of bolstering the things that brought me a sense of fulfillment and then also learning which thoughts were not serving me and releasing those. On the heart space, it was embracing the full spectrum of my emotions, coming to understand that while we're socialized to see certain emotions as bad, like, you know, I think a lot of women have struggles with anger because we might be called the B word or whatever it might be, but all our emotions are sacred. It's it's like the movie Inside Out right. that you, you come to appreciate all of them. And, and so that was a journey for me in the sabbatical. You know, I might have been in a fabulous city and thinking why, you know, I should be having like the time of my life, but I'm feeling some grief right now or I'm feeling whatever it might be and just allowing space right. for whatever might surface. Yeah. And then the soul piece, I really started to step into that year of my uh, the few months I was on my sabbatical. I didn't really understand what spirituality is. And I didn't grow up in an environment with organized religion. So I always felt a little bit kind of just an aversion to organized religion. I can and I, I kind of, yeah. And I kind of thought that's what spirituality was. Um, but what I came to understand, I immersed myself in so many spiritual teachers is that, you know, there's different terms to describe it, but basically we all house within us our soul, which is like the seat of our connection to humanity. It's the spark. It's the essence of who we are. It's activated through creativity and human connection and being in nature and being in awe or walking into like a 12th century church and feeling this sense of time and just knowing there's something bigger than us. And so that soul piece became really important to me to step into that relationship with, with my spirituality. 
Interesting. And and that soul piece, I think, especially gets so pushed down when like we're always go, go, go and working yeah. hard. Yeah. And um, I mean, I had totally um, internalized negative messages about spirituality. You hear woo woo or crazy or weird or new age, even though it's not new age. I mean, there's just so many negative connotations to it, but, but when you step into it and realize what it is, it's like the purest expression of who we are. And I came to understand. So one of the interesting things about my sabbatical is my sabbatical followed Um, my sabbatical was 2018 into 2019 and 2017 was a year of massive change for me. I went through a divorce. I embarked on this kind of nomadic chapter between 2017 and 2019. I think I lived in 30 short-term rentals plus all my travels. I, I just went through this nomadic phase and ironically or not, but what I came to understand through that and the sabbatical was that I carried a sense of home within me Mm -hmm. that I understood I could live anywhere really and find that sense of comfort and community and well-being just in me. And so that was such a powerful gift of the sabbatical as well. Yeah, that's so powerful. Do you feel like, like what was the thing that sort of sparked your decision to go on a sabbatical. And I'm sure that you had to do a lot of work on yourself in order to even get comfortable with that choice because there's a yeah. lot of fear behind it too. Yeah, there are a few factors. I'm obsessed with travel and I know you are too. Um, there's nothing for me like travel. I just feel like it blows open our senses and sense of connection across cultures. And it's just magical. I first was exposed to travel in a big way on semester at sea in college. Yeah. Where we traveled around the world and it just was life changing. And I developed wanderlust then, and I just kind of never let go of it. And I had taken six weeks um, before grad school to travel and I had taken some extended trips. Um, So it was something that I held dear to me. And I had, I, when I went through my divorce, it was also when Trump was elected. I had been working for the Obama administration and I knew I needed to leave my job. And, and so I had started to think about, I, I actually ended up taking a month trip at that point, And I was thinking of just taking off and, and letting it be as long as I wanted it to be. But I was, I kind of chickened out and thought, no, I, I need to get a job. I was nervous about getting a job after most of my career was in public service and the federal government. And so that's why I went to the startup. But um, once I went to that startup, I, I kind of was able to see, okay, I can switch sectors. I'm marketable as a candidate, <laughs> like dispelling some of those fears. And I actually had a really powerful experience. I went to a workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert and Martha Beck. Cool. And I did this letter writing exercise with Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, and that's what we did together. I which think. we did together, yes. And one of the letters is you write basically you write to give yourself a sense of permission for things. And when I went into that weekend, I wasn't thinking I'm going to quit my job in a few months and take this travel sabbatical. But out of that letter, I wrote to give myself permission to, I was kind of like poetic in a way, but I wrote, I mean, I don't even know where it came out of me, but it was like, I give myself permission to quit my job with nothing lined up and trust in myself. And I give myself permission to travel and enjoy like cobblestone streets and, being spontaneous and being in the moment. It was like this whole big thing. And I just wept as I wrote that. And that was like that spark of I'm going to do this. And so I came back and, you know, negotiated things with the company and got to a place where I could leave. And um, one of the things too, that had been surfacing in me in a while, and this is more career related, but so I'm a lawyer by training and I working in the Obama administration felt like a dream come true. I had so many incredible opportunities. I worked with the most phenomenal people, life-changing experiences. What did you, what was the, what was your role? I bounced around, which is typical of me. I had maybe a different role every year for like six years, but I I worked on immigration reform at the Department of Homeland Homeland Security in the office of the general counsel. I served as counsel to the general counsel I was at the White House a couple of times. I started off in the very beginning at Cabinet Affairs, which is an office that coordinates the interagency on different initiatives. And I went back to the White House to work at the Council on Environmental Quality as the deputy in their Ledge Affairs office. 
And I also worked on congressional oversight at DHS. And when I was working on that, the Boston bombings occurred. And that was a really powerful experience to be a part of the interagency efforts to um, source, you know, evidence and documents and understand, you know, the agency's nexus to it. And um, I left the administration to go to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau my friends joked I would, wasn't really leaving because it was Elizabeth Warren's brainchild and it kind of was somewhat political in its inception. And I worked as counsel to the director at the CFPB. And cool. yeah, and in those experiences, like I said, I just felt like I hit the jackpot out of my lawyer friends. I feel like I had definitely one of the cooler jobs and had greater satisfaction. But I had this whisper in me, this inner voice that I tried to ignore and push away, but this voice of like, I don't know if I'm truly fulfilled and is there more or is this it? Like I tended to fluctuate between being stressed and busy, which I actually thought was a positive because I was kind of in adrenaline mode and I enjoyed it versus being bored. And I kind of struggled a bit and questioned, am I making the most of my potential? Like I, I identify as a self-actualizer, which is maximizing my potential. And I remember seeing the curious case of Benjamin Button with Brad Pitt. And there's a scene (laughs) where he like goes off on his motorcycle to travel the world. And he says this powerful quote about like, I hope you're living a life that's true to you. And if not, I hope you have the courage to change it. And I like wept. Like I, and I just would be like, I don't know what's happening. Like I love my life and I'm so grateful for things, but there's just this yearning for something more. And so going to the startup, I thought, well, maybe this is the answer. Maybe I wasn't totally fulfilled because there's certain dynamics in government where you can't be entrepreneurial. You might not be able to be as visionary. It is more bureaucratic. And so going to the startup, I, I kind of had no longer had any excuses or ideas of how to make it better. I just came to terms with, you know what, I, this lawyer chapter has served me and I think I'm ready to let it go. And that journey in my sabbatical of doing this coaching program was to help me figure out what I wanted to do because I felt so lost. I I just thought, I don't think I want to be a lawyer anymore, but I don't know what I do want to do. And, um, I, I ended up working for a clean tech, uh, sorry, a, a early stage startup when I got back from my travel sabbatical and it was a creative startup, a women's workwear. Oh, cool. Uh, Did you work startup. as a lawyer for the startup? I worked as a chief of staff. Um, the company's named Argent and phenomenal founder, feminist. I, I thought after all my soul searching and sabbatical time, I did, I came to think that what was missing in my prior career was a focus on creativity mm-hmm. because creativity is something that runs strongly through me and I had neglected it for a lot of my adult life. And so I thought fashion, creativity, I I like the chief of staff role a lot. I thought, I really thought this is it. Like my whole life has led to this moment and I'm going to switch to a more creative endeavor and let go of the law and things will be great. But (laughs) I did that job for three months. It was a consulting gig for three months. And when it ended, I felt in me, I I can't go back to a traditional job. Like Mm -hmm. I, I just felt like every fiber in my being was like screaming for something more. And I was, but I still never thought I'd be a coach, which sometimes I think things are so close to us that they're like literally in our blind spot. Like in hindsight, it is so obvious that I would become a coach. But in that moment, I think my fears just made me blinded to it almost. And my coaching peers were like, well, you really like coaching and you're good at coaching. What about coaching? And so I thought, yeah, if not now, when, if not me, whom? And I leapt into coaching and I had no website, no clients. I just was like, I'm a coach. Did and you, that was, did you, did you like feel that before you did the Martha Beck program or, or did you do the Martha Beck program first? I did the Martha Beck program first and I had seen her, as I mentioned at that workshop with Elizabeth right. Gilbert. And I also went to a Deepak Chopra retreat with Martha Beck in 20, I think it was 2016. And, and I had been reading her articles in O magazine for years and I just loved her teaching. And so that the intention of taking the coaching program was to help me figure out what I was doing with my life. Okay. But, but now when I look back, I, I, you know, I talk to people and say, I mean, wouldn't anybody want to be a coach? This stuff is so fascinating and I can't get enough of it. And people would look at me like, uh, no, like not everybody 
wants to do that. And I remember when I saw her speak at that Deepak Chopra event, I had this thought of, I was thinking about legal conferences and CLE requirements and how I'd go to those events and just have to like pinch my hands to stay awake. <laughs> and, like I didn't find my people. I just felt like dead, like kind of totally. dead, dead inside, which sounds dramatic, but I really was like not my true self in yeah, those like, settings. You would so much rather be at a Deepak Chopra event for like probably weeks at a time. Yes. And so I had that thought of imagine if my career involved trainings in this <laughs> environment with these teachings and these people. And like, that is my life now. Like when I enroll in additional trainings. It's with spiritual leaders and coaches. And like, it's, it all makes sense now. Like, like the, the thing for me that was the aha moment, which again, seems obvious, but it, it took some work to get there was that self-actualization was my driving force. But what I came to understand was that what really lights me up and gives me that deep sense of purpose of like what my why is in this world mm -hmm. is helping other people to self-actualize because mm -hmm. in coaching we hold a mirror so other so clients can see their true gifts their strengths and one of the other central lessons or learnings of my sabbatical was a journey you had said I must have done a lot of work to get to that place and you know I'd been in therapy for years and I was a psych major and my mom's a clinical psychologist and, and psychology really got me to different places of healing and, and self-awareness and, and understandings of human dynamics. Um, and then that spirituality piece kind of, kind of also connected that for me. But what I, what I came to truly understand during my sabbatical was that we internalize so many things that don't serve us from an early age. We develop these coping mechanisms because we just want to belong and be seen and be loved and, and in instances where we aren't met, when, we're, when we don't feel safe to express our true selves, we start to develop these coping mechanisms like dimming our voice or people pleasing or perfectionism, or there's just all these coping strategies totally. that we take on as our truths and they, they help us survive. They're not things to hate on, but when we gain awareness about them in adulthood, we come to see these things are no longer serving me. And so right. what happened kind of rapidly as I was on my sabbatical and really immersing myself in things that lit me up and restored the essence of myself through that mind, body, heart, soul stuff was that I came to shed a lot of those things that weren't serving me. And it was only through that, that I was able to shed my lawyer identity. And there was a lot of grief around that, which was, it, I don't know why it seems obvious that there would be grief, but it kind of surprised me a little bit. Like I thought, I'm so excited to be a coach. I'm so excited to, to change my life and to have this more fulfilling existence. And, and, and then I found myself having dreams that I was a lawyer oh, and telling wow. people I was a lawyer. And like, I found myself feeling really kind of in the mud yeah, for a bit. So tied to our identities. Like I think probably similar to being a doctor where you say like, I am a lawyer. Yeah. It's not most people don't say I practice law, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's so true. And, um, you know, I had Im internalized those messages that being a lawyer is prestigious right. and it, it's safety and it's security and it means something about who I am as a person. And when I thought about telling people I was a life and executive coach, I thought they'd like look at me like I had three, three heads. Like it, it was just kind of this like, but, and it's so interesting now. when I think back, that was two years ago that I launched my coaching business. And now I, I don't carry that at all. I'm proud to say I'm a life and executive coach. And I had this um, kind of interesting experience. I went to my college reunion in the fall. So I launched my coaching business in the summer of 2019. And I went mm -hmm. to my college reunion that fall. I went to Northwestern undergrad and Northwestern it tends to be pretty traditional. Um, there's yeah. a lot of people from the Midwest, more traditional values. And um, I was like, I was feeling pretty confident in who I am, but I was like, you know, I live in LA, life and executive coaches are like all over the place right. here. Totally. I was like, this is going to be interesting telling people what I do. And I had this experience that was so incredible. I, I found myself that as I shared with people what I did, they were just like, oh my God, you're just like radiating this energy and you seem so fulfilled. And I'm having these issues in my career and I'm having these challenges in my marriage. And like people just really opened up about wow. being at this crossroads of life of like, like I think a lot of us when we hit late thirties, early forties, 
we have the title, we have the degrees, we have all the things we, we, that we were supposed to achieve to bring up that we think bring us happiness. And we, we, some of us have this haunting feeling of like, is this it? Right. Like, like this sneaking suspicion that there's more, but it's like terrifying to be like, wait, but I did all the things like yeah, this totally. is supposed to bring me happiness. Cause you go, you're going against everything that you've learned should be like what is considered the recipe yeah um but i ended up feeling like i was like the bell of the ball and it was like (laughs) this amazing transformative experience of of and the other thing that happens for those of us who are so fortunate to have these experiences like it is such a privilege to be able to take a sabbatical i'd been saving up i had never made a ton of money in government but um but i was able to take time and, and travel and that that is such a privilege but when we're able to step into these spaces of coming home to ourselves, of honoring mind, body, heart, soul, of, of, of um, honoring our inner voice, shedding the things that no longer serve us, like what happens is we step into this way of being. It's totally like the zero fucks thing, but we just, we are our true selves. Like there's no filters, there's no inner doubter or inner critic. It's just like what we feel, we speak. And um, it's just such an empowered way to be. And, I'm so grateful for my time off from working and changing careers and changing my life because it did lead me to this place where I trust that I am enough and who I am. And it's so liberating and empowering to be yeah, that way. That's amazing. When you first decided, you know, sort of officially, I guess, to mm-hmm. stop the practice of law and stop, you know, what you were doing before and then jump into coaching, what was the response from the people around you? Like, did it surprise you? Yeah. Um, so I owe so much to my parents. They have been such champions for me and, and they, they grew up in a more traditional environment. They're second generation immigrants. Jew. My mom's Jewish, my dad's Italian. And they had a really strong work ethic, kind of like, even though they're second generation, it was that work immigrant work ethic. Right. And, um, and I'm grateful that they, imbued that in me. And, but it was the work ethic. It wasn't to make money. It was to, to discover a fulfilling life and live our dreams because my dad had sacrificed his dreams in many ways. His, his dream was to be an architect and he had a lot of pressure to take on the family business, which was auto body shops. And he ended up down that road and he broke from the family to, to start his own auto body business. And he went on to be entrepreneurial and he opened two and shops and was very successful. Um, but because he sacrificed his dream, I think in us, he it was so important to him, uh, to, so important to him that we honored our dreams. And my mom was stay at home and sacrificed her career dreams. Mm-hmm. And then she went back to school to get her PhD in psychology when we were older. Um, and, and so they were really supportive and also they're protective and their parents. And they right. just were kind of like, but they, I remember one of them said when I remember this conversation in like the kitchen of their house when I was visiting them and I was just like, I'm, I'm going to do this. If, if you'll support me, like I'm going to do this. And they were like, but you worked so hard to get to where you are. Cause they were with me through the challenges of law school and through challenges in my career. And I, I think they didn't want me to make mistakes, but I, I knew I had their support um, and I actually took a loan out from them to start. So I really am so grateful for their support. My sisters, I have two sisters, my identical twin sister, older sister, they were supportive. And like my close, like, you know, like your peeps, like my close friends yeah. were like, you're amazing. Like, I'm so glad you're doing this. Like no level of shock or surprise. Like, of course you're doing this. Like, of course this is who you are. <laughs> I was like, I was, I'll say like a little surprised that they were more like peripheral, like friends, but not like my inner peeps, but just like close friends who I'd known for a long time, like some of them weren't as supportive as I thought they would be. And I I don't know for sure what was going on with them, but I I think one thing I have noticed is when we live our lives true to us and we present ourselves to the world that way, it can be very unsettling for people who are living lives that aren't true to themselves, who are putting on facades or putting on masks and going to the office every day. And who are scared to delve into their inner truths. It's scary. Like there's a reason they call it the dark nights of the soul for a reason. It's because when we step into our inner truths and heal deeper wounds and shed things that aren't serving us and all of that, it's painful and there's grief and our identities get like shattered. Like it's like that 
butterfly caterpillar to butterfly metaphor where you know you might think the caterpillar just surrounds itself with a cocoon and like sprouts wings and flies away but the caterpillar fully dissolves and dies into this like dna gook and it has the the genetic makings for the butterfly in it it has these dna discs for wings and antenna and whatever it is and so when it dies into this dna soup it then forms the butterfly, but that's a Martha Beck metaphor that she uses in her program. And it, it resonates. For yeah. Me I, I love that. that. That is. Yeah. So it's interesting that your parents, their initial concern was like giving, you're giving up what you've worked hard for. Yeah. And I'm wondering how you think, cause I think there's a, there's a reframe there. Like it's not it is. about giving it up. It's yeah. It's sure building on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you think that what you did work so hard for and, and that background has helped you build a successful coaching practice today? Yeah. Um, well, on the one hand, it, you know, I really believe our, if we're aligned with our North star, with our true self, our journey is our journey and nothing's going to ultimately take us off path. Like, you know, we might have detours here and there, but it all brings us back. We, we have this like homing mechanism within us. And for me, I needed to go through that chapter of being a lawyer because I need it. Uh, Martha Beck in her program, she calls it the social self, the distinction between the authentic self and the social self. So the authentic self is the essence of who we are. It's our true being, our true self, soul, whatever you want to call it. And then off, the social self is all the stuff we internalize that I've been referring to for me. And, and I had to live that social self life like, um, and then dismantle it. Right. And also it really serves me now as an executive coach to, for my clients to know I was an executive. I worked with top leaders at the White House in the administration. I was a general counsel of a clean tech startup and chief of staff to the CEO. It gives me that level of credibility right. um, and that I've immersed myself in leadership development and, and walk that path myself so that I'm speaking, I'm speaking from a place of authenticity in all of it, whether the life, co- I mean, it's all kind of the same thing, but the life coaching piece is bolstering your sense of self, that mind, body, heart, soul space. And then mm-hmm. the executive coaching piece is stepping into your true leadership potential. Oh. And so I speak from a place of experience from all of that. And I just so strongly believe that everything led to this moment. And it's interesting. It's kind of similar to my marriage on a personal note that we were together for nine years and some people commented at the time of the divorce. Well, I mean, gosh, nine years is a long time. Don't you wish you were only together for two years or, and I was like, no, this relationship changed me. And I'm so grateful for all of it as hard. I mean, as painful as a divorce is, it led me to this moment and I have no regrets. Like this is, this is my journey. Yeah. I relate to that with my past relationship. I was with someone for six years Mm -hmm. and we were engaged and then Mm -hmm. I ended things like two, almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I look back on that and I just learned so much about myself through that time. And then what came out of it was this like transformational experience that like, who knows if I would have had that. Yeah, I have the chills. I mean, I my dark nights of the soul. Co- Trump was elected. We signed our divorce papers like two days after the election. It was, oh that wow, was good, that was not good timing in hindsight. Um, and my divorce lawyer actually commented that she never cried in her office. Supposedly, as as sad and challenging as some of her cases were, she had never cried in her office. The only time she cried in her office was when Trump was elected. So it was like really dark, really dark days. Like I needed to leave my job. My marriage was over. My home. I had been living in his in in, in his condo. Like which was our home when we were married, but like I was out of a home, like it just was a lot of transition. And and I was 39 and I thought I'm going to be the dreaded lonely and depressed and struggling. And it just was a lot. My, I remember my therapist was like, all your houses are on fire right now. Cause I was going through, there was of course, like other challenges, like my cat of, well, he was 11 and seemingly perfect health. And he just dropped dead one oh day, of probably a heart attack. And there was a family crisis and there was a work crisis. And it was like everything piling up. And so I was dreading that what was next right. and it just felt like I was drowning like one wave after another. Can I surface? Can I get a breath before the next wave crashes? And somewhat like what you said, like unexpectedly maybe, but 
I had this Phoenix rising experience out of it where that's when I moved to LA and started a new chapter here and, and then went on to do the travel sabbatical and changed my life. And those dark nights of the soul around the divorce are what really was like the fertile ground. Like another powerful metaphor that resonates for me is that metaphor of the seedling breaking through ground, that, that it is in the soil and the darkness that we then are prepared to break through and like blossom. But when you're in the darkness, you don't know that you really think your life is ending and it is life as you knew it is ending. And then on the other side is potentially transformation. So how did you, I mean, this is a broad question, but like, how did you get (laughs) through that? Like in the moment where you felt like, you know, you're going to be alone and, nothing is going to, nothing is working out. Like how did you push through? Yeah. I mean, I look back and I, I feel really badly about at work. Like, cause I was still at the CFPB at the time. I was like very not my best self. Like I just was so raw and we were going through a lot at work and I, I just look back and I like cringe a little like, Oh geez, I was not my best self. But I think my coworkers <laughs> were pretty sympathetic about it. Um, but I, I, my twin sister, actually, she once told me that someone had said to her when she was going through a crisis, keep your horizon close. And that was like such a mantra for me was just if I found my mind racing to the future or dwelling in the past, it was like, no, I'm bringing it into this moment right mm-hmm. now in this moment. I am okay. I can take a deep breath. I can take a shower. I can do something that feels comforting, drink a cup of tea, whatever it is, just bringing it back over and over again to myself. And, um, I have an amazing support system. I'm so grateful for my family and friends. They, they really helped me through it and a phenomenal therapist who's really changed my life. Um, but in addition, I think what happens for many of us when we go through these dark nights of the soul and go through a crisis is out of those ashes, we develop a new relationship with ourselves. Like I stepped into a relationship of self-love that, it wasn't intentional. Again, it was just, I didn't have this thought of, Oh, I want self-love right now. It just was like, when you're left standing with like a shell of your former life, like it's the invitation. I I think that's when our soul space really opens up if we're receptive to it. And, and I ended up just being so nurturing with myself and kind with myself. And I used, I didn't have like a hardcore inner critic voice, but I definitely had I thought of it more as an inner doubter, like, should I do this or should I do that? Mm -hmm. Or it just like not trusting myself. Right. And um, I also used to be a perfectionist for sure and would like break (laughs) myself over the coals. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I didn't have the most compassionate, loving relationship with myself. And through that divorce, I, all of a sudden my inner voice was like this loving, kind, like, I mean, I feel like it was almost like the good fairy in the Wizard of Oz. I don't even know what it was. It was just like this, like, oh my God. Like at first I was just like, what is this voice that's surfacing in me? And and that it's my true voice. Like it's my true self. And so that was such a gift of all of this was, and I remember like hugging my, you know, so many times after Shavasana and yoga, you hug your knees. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm hugging myself. Like when I hug a friend or a loved one, I feel this warmth and like yeah. it feels good. But when I used to hug my legs, it was just like nothing. It was just like a physical whatever. But now it was like, it felt like that warm comforting. So that was such a powerful transformative experience out of it as well. How did you nurture that development? Like, did you, were you just active about, you know, reading about personal development, doing exercises and learning about it and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, so part of it was that I think it's just that survival instinct mm-hmm. of, you know, my soul was probably like, okay, we're stepping it up a notch. Like, like <laughs> ladies get together. We're like, it's go time. Like Jenna, and, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then the intentionality behind it was, uh, well, so it actually wasn't intentional. One of my friends, um, I joke that she was kind of my divorce Sherpa and she was somewhat recently through a divorce, but she was on the other side. She seemed pretty fulfilled. She was in a new relationship and, um, she was such a godsend to me. And, um, she said that I would, she went through a phase of dating herself and that I would probably do that too. And I just was like, Oh my God, that sounds so cheesy. And actually like, I, I didn't intentionally do it, but that is what I did. Like the next couple years in it, and part of a big part of it was the traveling. And as we were talking about like treating myself to dinner, but I would like buy myself flowers and treat myself to a spa day or, go for a long walk and 
um, just nurture myself. Like I was one of the coping mechanisms that I shed that did not serve me was I was such a people pleaser and I didn't even realize it. It was so ingrained in my identity. I had, I wore it as like a badge of honor. If I could be attuned to other people's needs and be there for them and like help soothe them and help support them. But and that's fine, except to me, it was to my detriment because I didn't have great boundaries. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes it's not my job to step into other people's stuff. Like totally. it's one thing to be supportive. It's another thing to carry the weight of their emotional stuff as like something about me. And then I, I didn't honor my needs because I had internalized this message that having needs is lame and needy and bad and weak. And like, so I was carrying this sense of like, I, I'm so self-sufficient. I'm not needy. And then I was expending my energy to other people. And, And so I basically just had this major shift of, of attending to my own needs and honoring my needs and recognizing that I'm human and humans have needs and it's okay. And, and like reframing it there and not putting myself out there as much for other people. And the journey of learning boundaries and setting boundaries was life changing. Like it is such a superpower for us to, to know how to say no, to say yes to the things that serve us to not have guilt. It, it's just, it's a transformation that, that is so important for us yeah. to go through. Definitely. I am still learning that. It's really yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. It's a lifelong journey. I mean, that's the other thing that I've come to understand is sometimes I use the metaphor of an onion and all the layers. But yeah. I remember when I started therapy and I was going through some tough stuff with relationships and I was like, okay, so the idea is I'm going to heal my deeper stuff and then I will no longer be attracted to people who are bad for me. And she was like, well, not necessarily. Like you'll heal your deeper stuff and then you'll start to make conscientious, like different choices. Like you might still be attracted to those people, but you'll make different choices. So ultimately you won't be with them anymore. And I was like, ah, like this is not what I want. I don't want to still. I know, but you want it to be automatic. Yes. But actually, I actually do think that doing the inner work, you you don't have, you don't have the same, the triggers lessen your attractions shift. Like I am so not attracted to people I was attracted to in my twenties. Like I do think that stuff changes, but it, it is like layers of an onion because when you do the inner work, it's both the blessing and the curse. Um, the blessing of it is you come to realize our potential is infinite that, you know, we can continue to evolve and grow in ways that we'll look back one day, you know, that we can't even imagine. Right. And then like the, the curse of it is, that there is no arriving, that there is no I'm cured or, you know, I, I no longer get triggered by things or whatever it might be, but it gets more and more uh, uh, comfortable and like less threatening. And our relationship with ourselves can become a really beautiful relationship. Like I'm such a believer that the most sacred relationship we'll ever have in our lifetime is the one with ourselves. Right. And okay. so when we, and that's the solitude piece too, is when we can sit in solitude, when we can when we can go off and like do a hike or go to dinner or spend time with ourselves, like the way we would spend time with a bestie, like, Oh my God, I have a whole unstructured day on Saturday and I can't wait to do things for myself. Like that's the journey. And that's such a special thing to arrive at. Yeah, for sure. And it's also interesting that one of the things you had to shed was being a people pleaser and taking on other people's stuff and always mm-hmm. trying to, you know, help support people. Yeah. And that's part of your work now, but it seems like you've been able to not like fully take it on, if that makes sense, and create like a boundary between yourself and your coaching clients. Yeah. I'm just curious, like how you hold that space, but then also protect your own energy. Yeah, it's such a good point. And that too, it it isn't like an intentional thing. I didn't like train myself to do it. It's just, I think it's because I've done so much inner work and I am able to hold boundaries and understand where someone else ends and I begin. I have tons of sessions where something deep comes up and I'll cry. I mean, I feel a range of emotions or I'll feel angry for the injustice someone's experienced or I'll feel joy, like tears of joy for something wonderful going on. But the the thing about coaching is that we do, you know, the holding space thing is, is one um, way to describe it. It's, it's, we create a container with the client for, for the client to feel safe, to express their true self. And so like, for me, I, I, I don't know, there's something about that, that it's like, 
in that moment when I'm coaching someone, we're in this container together. And when that call ends, that that door closes until we meet again. Right. I, I, I might, you know, if someone's going through something really deep, I'll, of course, I'm human. I'll, I'll think about them with compassion and empathy. And, um, but I don't, it doesn't drag me down. I, I don't feel like it's my job to, um, to carry their pain as my own pain. Mm-hmm. I can have that kind of emotional distance that I can feel compassion and empathy. Um, and it also so much of it is, again, I, I feel like I keep saying it, but the inner work I've done to hold as sacred all emotions, because I used to push away sadness I used to see tears as weakness. Mm-hmm. I used to see anger as bad. I did not have a relationship with grief at all. And like any, and so what happens is when we don't have a loving relationship with our emotional space, we have thoughts about those emotions that are really detrimental. Like I'm weak for showing tears or I hate this or this sucks or I don't want to feel this way. And when we push away those emotions, they just get bigger and bigger inside of us and they manifest as anxiety and depression. And, and we, and you know, we, we go to numbing or distracting or, or things that don't like with food or drugs or whatever it is. It's like, and so because I've done so much work and I'm in a healthy place with my emotions, I see them. It's like that roomy poem about, that the emotions are visitors mm-hmm. in our home that, that I, I don't get dragged down by different things. I just see them. I, I see emotions almost as weather patterns that it might rain and then it's followed by rainbows. There's just this passing through effect that the emotions don't sit with me in the way they used to, to the same capacity. That is so articulated, just articulated so perfectly. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Um, okay. We are almost out of time because I try to keep it to under an hour. Okay. But I have some ending quick fire questions that I'd love to hear your responses to. Sure. Okay. So the first one, what book are you reading right now? I'm reading Overstory about trees. Um, I'm terrible with names. I want to say it's Richard Powers, but I could be wrong about the author, but it has been, it is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. And there's an on being podcast episode about one of the women who's a pivotal character. Oh, awesome. In the book. Yeah. Very cool. What was the last meal you had? I had dinner with my twin sister last night and we had um, gnocchi and salad. I don't eat breakfast. I, I had a latte. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that counts as a meal, but yeah, I, I've never been a breakfast person. And, and so I was into intermittent fasting before it was a thing, not realizing it was a thing. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> when you imagine your happy place, where is it? Ah, uh, gosh, you know, when I used to travel, I had this, I have this pivotal happy place moment when I was on my travel sabbatical, I did, um, my twin sister and I met up with my parents to do a walking tour in Puglia in the, cool. the boot of Italy. And it was this magical trip because my dad's family is from Puglia and we're applying for Italian citizenship. And so it was like a homecoming and Puglia is just like magical. And um, I had not planned any of it. I'm a huge planner, but with my sabbatical, I, I felt very strongly in me. I do not want to plan anything. I just want to be in the moment and enjoy it. And so my parents planned it, which was phenomenal, but I didn't realize we weren't spending any time in the ocean. I thought the whole thing with Puglia is like the coast and the coastal towns, but it was all inland, which is gorgeous. But like, so I had this moment, it was one of our last days there. And in me rose up this feeling of like, I have to get in the ocean. And we were inland on this hike. And I was like, guys, I got to go. I'm, I'm going to find the ocean. And I just like left. And my parents and sister were like, oh, okay. And I walked back into town like a mile and a half or two miles. I don't, it wasn't that far, but I don't know what it was. And I came upon this inlet and um, it was a beach club and it was closed because it was October. And I just like changed. I had a bathing suit with me. I changed behind like a, a cabana and I like <laughs> went into the ocean and I laid in the ocean. And in that moment... I cried tears of joy floating in the sea. The sun was shining. It was just like, I did it. I oh, quit wow. my job. I'm on the sabbatical. I'm with my family, heart bursting, just magical moment. And like a second later, clouds formed and there was massive thunder and the, <laughs> the skies opened up and like buckets of rain. And so I jetted out of there. And so it was really just this brief moment. But in that moment, it was everything. So that is such a happy place for me. And I reflect back on it a lot, but quickly, like lately, 
my happy place I've noticed, I got a kitten, a rescue kitten Aww. in COVID. And um, I noticed that heart bursting joy in quiet moments with my cat when he's like purring on my chest or we're playing. He's like a dog. We like play, play fetch. Like <laughs> I, I just have been mindful lately of this is, this is true joy. Just these quiet moments at home with him. That's really special. I love that. <laughs> Um, if you could speak to yourself when you were about 15 with the knowledge that you have now, what would you say? That trust, trusting, learning to trust your intuition will be the greatest, most powerful chapter of your life to honor your voice, to know that you are intelligent and creative and a special person that your sensitivity and being an empath is also a blessing. It is not a curse that you may feel different at times, but it's something really special about you and to hold on to the things that bring you that sense of your true self um, and to just trust yourself. I love that. Yeah. And last one, when you feel off balance, what do you do Mm -hmm. to center yourself? I check in with myself trying to honor the full spectrum of who I am. I've been training in internal family systems, a type of therapy and my therapist is IFS trained. And and that whole thing is it's all about our peeps, like our inner parts and understanding what's going on. And so I'll just spend time to reflect on what am I feeling? What's surfacing in me? holding space for myself or whatever it might be. I try to get, I try to get outside every day um, for a walk, for a run, just listen to inspiring podcasts or walk silently and soak in my surroundings. Um, I, I really, you know, COVID, this pandemic has been so horrific in so many levels. And I'm one of the, I feel so fortunate that me and my family and friends have maintained our health for the most part. But um, one of the greatest I guess if there has to be a silver lining of a horrific (laughs) chapter is self-care became like a practice for me. Like I didn't really understand the power of it, that um, taking a bath, reading a book, taking a nap, not, you know, one of the gifts of my sabbatical that has really become more prominent in this pandemic is reframing my understanding of quote productivity, Mm -hmm. like because my identity was so tethered to work, I really felt like I would, I would literally have thoughts. I quote, I didn't get anything done today. If it wasn't work, if I spent a day doing self-care stuff, I'd be like, God, I didn't get anything done today. And now, (laughs) yeah. Like now I see quote productivity. First of all, I don't really think about things in terms of being productive, but I think of, I had such a rich, day to day. Like today was phenomenal. And, and it may be these things that have nothing to do with work and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much. This was so amazing. I like feel lit up by our conversation. Oh, I do too. It's such an honor to be a part of this community. And, um, I, I love hearing people's stories. That's been a central theme in my life from childhood to today. That's part of why I love coaching is, is just, I love understanding people's stories and what lights them up and what makes them tick. Um, and, and I'm grateful to have this chance to share my story in the case that it might shed some light or validation or encouragement to anyone who may be in similar places in their lives. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen out of this pandemic is a lot of people are facing existential crises, reevaluating their lives. There's a great resignation. There's this real sense that we're seeing how fragile life is. And so um, I, I'm seeing many people questioning their life paths and, totally. and it's starting to step into new directions themselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sort of right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, thank really you, Marissa. This has been such a pleasure. Hello again. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Jenna. I definitely felt very lit up at the end of it. I just love her story and I felt like she just had so many pieces of wisdom throughout our conversation. So I hope you found it valuable and inspirational as well. 
And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I also have a newsletter, which I know that I've mentioned before, and you can sign up for it on undefinedpodcast.com. I definitely won't spam your inbox. It's really just a way for me to let everybody know when I publish a new episode because I don't have social media and I don't intend on getting it. So we'll see. Maybe my the number of listeners will go down, but that's okay. Okay, I will talk to you again soon.